The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge His people, and He will have compassion on His servants. Amen. God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. You created us. Lord, we lift our hearts and our voices to you this day in worship and adoration of your great name. It is our desire as your people that we would worship you today in spirit and in truth in a pleasing way. That all that is said and done, the things that we speak and sing, and even the thoughts and meditations of our hearts would be pleasing sacrifices lifted up to you. And Lord, we pray knowing that according to your word, it says that the things that are secret belong to you, but the things that are revealed in your word belong to us and to our children forever. And so through your spirit, we pray, Lord, that you would descend on us today, reveal us, reveal to us yourself in your word, that we may worship you and serve you in the ways that you have revealed to us. And Lord, we pray now joining our hearts together Praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the green hymnal uh, on page 845. And since this is a statement of our faith in the Lord, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. As we continue to worship, turn in your hymnal to number 108. We're going to sing together, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. particular honor and privilege of celebrating one of the sacraments that the Lord Jesus gave to his church, the sacrament of baptism. In just a few moments, we will be observing that sacrament as Noah and Addie Burroughs uh, will come forward to be baptized. And so I wanted to take a few moments to uh, explain and to uh, remind you of what this sacrament means, why it is significant in the church of the Lord Jesus. It is done in His church in accord with His command under the authority of our session here, our elders. And it's done in obedience to Him because He said in the book of Matthew chapter 28, as He spoke to His disciples, He told them to go into all the world and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
It is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace that God made with his people. We see that in the Old Testament as he said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will be your God and you will be my people. The Bible says that Abraham heard what God said and he believed God. And as he believed by faith, it says that God counted it to him as righteousness. And he gave to Abraham a sign of circumcision, a bloody sign that would point to the need for blood to be shed. that There might be remission of sins. We believe in the New Testament over 2000 years later. The Apostle Peter said in the book of Acts, those same words that the promise of the Lord would be to you and to your children and to all who were far off. That same language that God used when he spoke to Abraham and said that his covenant would be with him and to his children and to all who would believe. So as we come to this sacrament this morning, we see that this is God's faithfulness from one generation to the next. We use water for baptism because it is a a symbol and a representation of the blood of Christ, the work that Christ really does in the heart of his people. That blood cleanses our hearts. So as we see the water, we're reminded of his blood that sprinkles us clean. It's a reminder to us of the guilt of our sin that Christ takes away and a signal to us of the virtue of the spirit of Christ that compels us to walk before him and reminds us that we are no longer slaves to the dominion of sin, but we are children of the living God. But some honest questions this morning as we think about this, this sacrament that we're about to observe, do we believe by putting this sign on these children that they today have saving faith? No, we're not saying that. Are we saying that by putting this sign on them that they are 100% guaranteed to be believing adults later in life? No, we're not saying that either. We are looking by faith in the Lord Jesus, doing what he commanded because he said to do it, believing that he will call them to himself. In the Bible, one of the words that God uses to describe his relationship with his people is a covenant. And a covenant is something that God keeps that he swears to his own hurt, I will be your God and the God of your children and for anyone that I call to myself. And so God promises I will be faithful even if you are not. And so today we celebrate that sign. We celebrate what it signifies and the work of God in us. And so for our covenant children who are here with us this morning participating in this service of worship, I want to remind you, you may not remember your own baptism. But it speaks to you. It speaks to you of the blood of Jesus that cleanses sinners from their sins. The blood of Jesus that speaks to you a better word than the sacrifices of the Old Testament that were a shadow and a type to point forward to the work of the Lord Jesus in the hearts of his people. And I want to remind you, children, and for those of you who have been baptized, that the Lord Jesus calls you. To obedience by his spirit. You are to obey. You are to walk in his ways. To do what he has told us to do. Because you have been baptized. You have received the sign of the living God. And he says you are a part of his family. We believe that all children who are baptized. Are part of our covenant family here. That's why we refer to them on Sunday mornings. And pray for them as covenant children. And we participate together in this. We don't do this in our denomination. We don't do this as a private ceremony. This is done with the people of God that we would see the sign and remember it and also participate in it. I'll have a question for the parents in just a few moments. But there's also questions for you as the church family because we commit together as the people of God in doing what he has commanded. So at this time, I want to remind you to consider your own baptism to think of the remission of sins that the Lord Jesus purchased for you and to stir up your heart in faith that you would make use of the baptism that the Lord put on you. You did not choose it yourself. He did. At this time, I'd like to call uh, forward Jay and Kelsey and their family to come forward. And while they're coming as a, as a covenant family, Jay and Chelsea and Cade and Noah and Addie, as they're coming forward, I just want to uh, recognize some special guests who are here with us today to celebrate the sacrament. Jay's parents, Jimmy and Sherry Burroughs, his sister, Max and Jenna Hazen, 
And Meredith and Aaron Sigler are here in addition to also celebrate in this time together. What a wondrous thing. And Richie and Jolie Monteith, obviously here as members of our church family, this is a wondrous time to be together as God's people. Before I come down, I'm going to read some scripture passages with you. These are the covenant promises that God made to his people. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it says, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. In Genesis chapter 17, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your descendants. And then Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So, Jay and Chelsea, on this day, I have questions for you as you present your children to the Lord for baptism. Do you acknowledge your children's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you claim God's covenant promises on their behalf and do do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus for their salvation as you do your own? Yes. And now, do you together unreservedly dedicate your children to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example, that you will pray for them, that you will teach them the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you? Yes. Yes. And now for our congregation, for our church members, do you as a congregation, Lebanon Presbyterian Church, undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of these children. Do you? Yes. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for what these wonderful blessings are that you give to us. To be able to come to this sacrament today. To see you continue to add to your church. Lord, we thank you for this family. We thank you for these children. And we look to you by faith that you will call them to yourself decisively. That the efficaciousness of this sign is not today only, but it will work in their life to remind them of the gospel of grace. And Lord, we do look to you in faith that you will call Addie and Noah to you in your time. We confess and believe that our times are in your hand. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to (laughs) try. This is is Noah James. Sometimes you have to chew gum and walk at the same time. Noah James Burroughs, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Addie, I will hold you, sweetheart. <laughs> Addison Jane Burroughs, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this sign that you put on your people. Lord, I do pray that you would remind these children and this family of the wonderful blessings that you have poured out on them. And we do pray again, Lord, just pausing for a moment to pray again for them, that you would call them to yourself, that you would give them the gift of faith, and that you would be to them God, and they would be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, please turn in your hymnal to number 820. We're going to be reading together Psalm 98.
page 820, Psalm 98. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. The Lord has made His salvation known. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. Let the sea resound and everything in the world and all who live in it. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Let's stand together as we continue to worship singing hymn number 689, Be Still My Soul.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I want to pray for our missionaries, Roger and Laura Dye, but also wanted to pray for those in our church family, um, and there are many of us who are going through health struggles and difficulties, and not just a momentary affliction, but some of us are going through things that are um, abiding and deep, and so I wanted to spend time together as a church family to pray for one another, that the Lord would minister not only to our hearts and give us the gift of faith, but also that He would minister to bodies and that He would heal and bind up what is broken. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that we may come to You as our Father, that we call out to You, not as orphans, But as your word says, we come to you as the living God who you say we should pray to you saying, Our Father, that we are your children, sons and daughters of the living God, that we have been given bold access to the throne room of grace through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is because of that confidence that we come to you now, not because of our sinlessness and not because of our own good intentions or good efforts. We come by the blessed blood of the Lord Jesus alone. And Lord, I do pray for Roger and Laura Dye, and I thank you and praise you for their recent trip that they made out of the country, that they came home safely, and for the work that they were able to do there in your name. Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill them with your spirit, that they would do the work that you've called them to do, that they would do it with joy and satisfaction and delight. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless Roger as he works on translation work, and as he spends days reading things, that they would be theologically precise so that those who who read it in another language would understand what we truly mean in the doctrines of our holy religion. Lord, what a work that you have given to him, and we pray uh, for steadfastness for him and for precision in his language. We thank you for the gifts that you have given him for the sake of your church. And Lord, we acknowledge and confess it is easy sometimes to think only of this corner of the world. That this is the church, this is where your people dwell. But you say in your word that you will call men and women, boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that at the end of the ages when you gather all of your people around you, that there will be people from every nation, tribe and tongue. And so we confess and thank you for this blessed work that we can participate in as a church family. That as we give our tithes and offerings, we give for the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray and lift up those in our church family who are struggling with health issues, ongoing health issues that are not relenting, not things that just come up and go away quickly or in just a few days or hours, but things that are lingering and have held on for months and years. Lord, I cry out to you on their behalf that you would be merciful, that you would bring to bear all of the the possibilities of medicine and science that they would experience wholeness and healing. Lord, we cry out to you for those who are suffering and struggling with illnesses that are maybe not so visible to the rest of us, but something that they carry with them every day that impacts everything that they do and every decision they make, whether to come to church or not, or to go to a social gathering or not. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to be sorrowful with those who sorrow and weep with those who weep, that we would hold up one another in prayer because we are loving and concerned for one another, that we would count it a joy and delight to be able to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would encourage the hearts of everyone that we are praying for now. You know who they are. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them by your spirit, that your Holy Spirit would let them know that their brothers and sisters are praying for them and that you are working, that you are present. You have not left them. Lord, help them to know that even this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time we're going to have special music. Thank you. 
Thank you, Miss Becky and Chuck, for sharing your gifts with us. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the Old Testament book of the Psalms, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we are continuing our series on Psalm 23 entitled The Good Shepherd, and we are studying the first part of verse 4, and the sermon is entitled The Valley of the Shadow. To this point, David has expressed statements about the Lord as if he were talking to a friend or maybe having a sermon with a congregation. In verses 4 and 5, it's as if David turns just slightly and speaks directly to the Lord in prayer and affirmation of his faith. Last week, we talked about the paths of righteousness and that they not only speak about our life, and the days, months, and years of our life being a path, but also our Christian conduct is a journey as well, including ups and downs and twists and turns and things come up in life that we wouldn't expect. And yet our God calls us to walk with Him, to walk the path of obedience, the path of a disciple led by the Spirit of God. In verses 1 through 3, we see the clear blue skies of a beautiful day. In verse 4, it seems that David is descending down into a cloudy bog, as it were. It is not so bright and cheery. Maybe even difficult. Maybe even not so lovely. And maybe perhaps he is not filled with the same faith. What is it that the Lord is doing? What is he calling him to? David Calhoun says, Christians have many joyful times. But we also experience times of sadness, depression, anxiety, sickness, abuse, or even bitter disappointment in this life. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it speaks of the possibility of tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword. Why would the Apostle Paul write about these things if they were not real possibilities for believers to walk in when he asked the question, what shall separate us from the love of God? He listed those things, not because they were not possibilities for God's people, but because they are the very things that many of us, when we walk into those valleys, we experience doubt and fear and believe that not only are we there, But we are there alone. Not only have our companions left us, but our God has left us as well. And so this is a significant issue in the life of believers. What do we do in the valley of the shadow? When the shadow is cast and the blue skies are gone, the warmth of the sun is not upon our face. And it seems in our experience that the Lord is not with us. You might say, oh boy. This is not for me. And I would say, dear friend, perhaps not today, but maybe another day. You will need to be reminded of the Lord's goodness to you in the valley of the shadow. Maybe it is not for you today, but perhaps this encouragement from the Lord, these verses that we are studying, they may be for someone who is sitting near you. And I would ask you, dear believer, pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that God would salve their soul with the beauty and the wonder and the power of the gospel. In Psalm 138, verse 7, it says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you, my God, will revive me. You will stretch out your right hand and save me. 
So as we look at this passage this morning, as we look at just one part of verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to do so under three headings. Number one, what is the valley of the shadow? Number two, developing a theology of the valley. And lastly, number three, what is the good shepherd up to? So number one, what is the valley of the shadow? There's one Hebrew word that's translated here, the valley of the shadow of death. It could also be translated as deep darkness. What is the valley of the shadow? It's an actual place. No, I'm not talking about a football stadium just a few miles away. I'm talking about an actual place in the Middle East. An actual place that people who were shepherds took their sheep. One writer says that there is actually a place called the Valley of the Shadow of Death just south of the Jerusalem-Jericho Road in Palestine and every shepherd knows of it. It is a narrow defile through a mountain range where the water often foams and roars. Torn by jagged rocks, the path plunges downward from about 2,700 feet above sea level at one end to nearly 400 feet below sea level at the other into a deep and narrow gorge of sheer precipices overhung by frowning sphinx-like battlements of rocks which almost touch overhead. The valley is about five miles long. Yet it is not more than 12 feet at the widest section of the base. The valley of flaming purple rocks is made perilous and dangerous, not only through vicious animals that crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their, in their cover, and deadly snakes that lurk in wait inside of rocks, but because of its furrowing flood, badly eroded by the floods and waters of the cloudburst, the actual path on the solid rock is so narrow that in places the sheep can hardly turn around in case of danger. This is a real place. It's the sheep's worst nightmare. This is not a place they wanted to go. The valley has signs and signals of truly life-threatening and fear-generating situations for the Lord's flock. You can see why the psalmist uses this imagery to talk about life and why he would talk about sheep and shepherds and why it is so significant. He's saying, though I walk through that valley in this life, and though the shadow is cast upon my soul some days, he is making statements about the goodness of God. It is a metaphor for pain and suffering in this life. And if we're honest with one another, when we see pain and suffering in the life of others, we are repelled by it. We want to observe from a safe distance as if maybe if we got too close, it might jump on us. If I see too closely what's happening in the lives of other people, it might impact me. Who knows, tomorrow it may show up at my door. So I'll watch from a distance. I don't want to say anything that might be awkward. If I do say something and try to relate something about my pain, it will be misunderstood. Or my pain is so small and so insignificant. How could I ever say anything encouraging to someone walking through a true valley of the shadow of death? So I won't say anything. Yet God's word encourages us to be there for one another. Psalm 34 verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. John chapter 16 verse 33. Jesus told the disciples in the world you will have tribulation. And then another breath later he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, after he had been stoned and believed to be dead, it says that Paul got up and he went about strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And he said, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. What am I talking about? The valley of the shadow of death. I'm not talking about necessarily the everyday troubles that all of us go through. Maybe you get up one morning and go out to the car and it won't start. Or maybe you have too much in your hand and you drop your phone and the screen cracks. Or maybe there has been a howling dog at 3 a.m. for the third night in a row and you have not gotten sleep. That's not what I'm talking about. Though that is a particular trial. What I'm talking about in the valley of the shadow of death is not even natural consequences either of decisions that we make. I'm not talking about what happens to us because of general laziness 
or the consequences of lawless action that should come upon people who live in a country governed by laws. What I'm talking about are the sharp and distinct pains of the fall. Chronic illness, disease, persecution, fractures in families, and natural calamities. These are the the pains in the valley of the shadow of death. These are things that some of us go through. And I remember a professor in college said to us in class once that there are some in God's church whom he favors with suffering. And I thought that is so odd and so counter to what everything I had ever believed or thought about it. But it is in the valley of the shadow of death that the Lord Jesus calls to his people and says, I'm here. I have not left. And actually, I was the one with you. I have been the one with you this whole time. But there is a nearness and a closeness of the Lord by His Spirit that we sense and know and we hold on to after coming out of that valley, after walking through that shadow, that it is unmistakable. It was not us who walked us through. It was His hand. The valley of the shadow of death also actually does refer to death itself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Psalm 116, verse 15, the psalm writer says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. What we're talking about is the end of earthly life. This is something that's general for all people. It's mysterious. And it is very final. We worry about our family in death. We worry about the process. Will it be painful? Will I be able to make it? Will I sleep? Will I lose the ability to walk? Will I be able to eat? Will I even know what's going on? It's mysterious. And we have lots of questions about it. We avoid it as a culture. We do everything that we can to stay healthy and young and vibrant. And yet the Bible says that death is not an end, but a doorway. Into glory. There is also another death that the Bible talks about that every person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ will walk in. A death that unbelievers go through. In the Bible, it's called the second death. It is the final eternal judgment for those who do not believe in and love the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not said to to make anyone afraid, but to state simply and very matter of factly the truth that the Bible gives the free offer of the gospel, that we would hear and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and call on Him while He is near and believe by faith. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And if you hear the Lord, do not disobey His voice. There is coming a day when there will be death and it will be final and it will be eternal for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. So number two, developing a theology of the valley. In Psalm 90 verse 10 it says, The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Do you remember that hymn, I'll fly away, O glory, I'll fly away. Somebody said, I'm learning to walk now so that soon I can fly away. This theology of the valley, it's, there's an antithetical and unscriptural idea of worldly wisdom that doesn't have a category for what I'm talking about and what we prayed about this morning for our brothers and sisters. The enemy attacks us in this valley. He wants to isolate us. And maybe even through the misguided words of other people who want to help us when we're walking through difficult times. I want to just say... That not everything that all well-meaning people say to you are thus saith the Lord. Not everything that someone would tell you in the midst of a difficulty that you're walking through is God speaking to you. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart. Some of the things, some of the lies that we believe and things maybe that even others would tell us I'm unique in this particular area of suffering in life. I can't find examples of it in the Bible. I don't know others in the church who struggle with this. I'm unique. The problem is me. The church can't help me. 
And it seems that God isn't interested in it. I'm walking through this valley alone. I am on my own. I have to figure it out. Another one, a favorite of our enemy is, God is angry with me, and therefore I'm suffering. And so we look inward. We turn inward and say, what is the unrepentant sin in my life? What if I just gave over to Jesus? I would experience happiness and wholeness, and the suffering would be gone. It's a lie from the enemy. Now surely, if you're living in unrepentant sin, clearly the Bible says, repent and believe. But we don't walk through suffering in this life. God does not deal with us that way as His children, simply because we sin. Or maybe another lie, God promises deliverance. But I'm seemingly stuck here. I must not belong to Him after all. There are those who preach a gospel that says that Jesus wants you happy and healthy, wealthy and wise. And so anyone who belongs to Him must experience these things. True children of God don't walk through valleys. Valleys are meant to be something you look at, not something you walk through. It's a lie from the enemy. This is another one. If I just smile and endure it, if I don't complain, God will forgive me for all of my past sinfulness. If I don't speak anything that would be against Him or these days that He is giving me, these months or these years of struggle, as long as I don't complain, as long as I don't murmur, He will take it from me as penance, a life of penance for my sin, and He will credit it to my account. It's a lie from the pit of hell. This is not how Jesus works with His people. As we go through Psalm 23, and as we looked last week at the paths of righteousness, You have to consider all of the terrain of the life of a believer along the paths of righteousness. It's easy to look at the green pastures and the still waters when life is generally pretty good. We're not struggling. God is good. Trust seems unhindered. Seems very natural. This is a wonderful life. But then as we continue to walk that path, this is not a deviation. This is not a turn from the paths of righteousness. Sometimes walking that path... There is sorrow. There is a shadowy valley. And life seems to be falling apart. And one of the first questions we ask, maybe it's a diagnosis or a phone call or a visit. We ask, does God love me? And by the way, where did He go? And we sit looking at the pieces of life and we say, who sinned? Almost as if if this hadn't happened, if somebody hadn't done something, this wouldn't have happened. You remember in John chapter 9, when Jesus was asked that question about a man who had been born blind, the disciples asked Him, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that He was born this way? And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened in His life that the glory of God might be seen. That the work of God might be done before your eyes. The dark valley is as truly one of Jesus' paths of righteousness for His people as are the green pastures and the still waters. It is a fact that many of God's people need to hear and to remember. And maybe you need to hear it now. And it should help take some of the sting out of the whole ordeal for God's people. I don't mean that it makes it go away. But you can bear it knowing that your Heavenly Father ordained that path for you and that He promises to be with you in it. Notice He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley, I'm walking and you are with me. Think of some examples of people in the Bible. Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you think, well, no, I don't, I don't think I believe you, preacher. People who belong to Jesus are supposed to have a life of victory. All the struggle is supposed to be in the past because we were living in sin and denying who God was and was, we weren't living in obedience. But now that I belong to Him, I should be seeing rejoicing in my life. There should be wonderful product of God's work in my life. But think about Daniel in the furnace. As he went into the furnace, do you remember what he said to Nebuchadnezzar? We believe that God will deliver us out of this, but even if He doesn't, if He chooses to leave us there and to use us for His glory, we will still not change. We will not do what you're telling us to do. We will not bow down. 
We must worship the living God alone. Think of another person in the Bible, even though they, Daniel and those Hebrew boys, were delivered. Think of another person in the Bible who was not delivered from his path, from the valley of the shadow of death. It was real death for Stephen in the book of Acts. And it says that they were stoning him. And as he was being stoned, he gazed into heaven. And he saw the Son of God standing. Sometimes you don't get delivered from it. Not everything turns out great. The disease doesn't go away. The illness doesn't leave. The friend dies earlier than you thought they would. The loved one that you wanted to hug one more time and just say, I love you one more time. You do not get the chance. Sometimes that happens in this life. It's a valley of shadow of death for God's people. You need a theology for it, dear people of God. That is true and real. It happens. And so we ask the question, what is the Good Shepherd up to? What is He doing? Why did He bring this to my doorstep? It's okay to say, as believers, it's okay to say, I don't know. As unsatisfying as it is, we may never fully know the reason why He brought us on this particular journey. We may not know why someone died early or why we have a sickness, or why this struggle that we have now will be with us until the day that He calls us home. But I I prayed this morning from Deuteronomy 29.29 in our invocation that the secret things belong to God, but the things that He has revealed belong to us. There are secret things you will never know in this life. He's God. He gets to do that. He does all that He pleases. We embrace the sovereignty and the providence of God in our lives while not blaming Him for our pain or our toil or death. Because these are curses from the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, these are echoes of what took place when Adam and Eve said, we would rather trust our knowledge than yours. And we continue to do it day in and day out ourselves. Echoes of the fall of man. What is the Good Shepherd up to? We might ask, well, where is He? Where is He in my moment of need? He promised not to leave. He promised not to treat me as an orphan. Where is He? The Bible says He is present with His people, guiding them through the valley. He has not left them. Psalm 22, verse 24 says, For He does not despise, nor abhor the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him, but when He cried to Him, He heard. Do you believe that, dear people of God? That when you cry to the Lord, He hears. That He does not despise the place that you are in. And that He will hear and listen to you when you cry out to Him. If you still have your Bible, briefly turn over to Revelation chapter 2. I want you to consider the words, lastly, of Jesus. As we think about what is the Good Shepherd up to? What is He doing in the midst of our struggle and sorrow in this life? Where is He? Should we only cling to hope that one day all of this will be gone? Or is there any grace for you as you walk through a valley right now? Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write this, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works. Tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt. By the second death. These are the words of Jesus. Do you doubt that Jesus sees? Do you doubt that Jesus cares? Here He is speaking to real people going through real tribulation and He's telling them, you're about to go through something awful and horrible. But He's speaking. He says, I see it. I know. I will be with you. It should help them. It should encourage them. It's it's more than just a friend saying, I'm so sorry. This is... God, who said, I was dead and now I live. Nothing that comes into your life will be able to take you from me. 
When you ask, what is He doing? You can say these things. What is God doing right now in this, in this valley, in this shadow where I cannot see light? He is doing more than you can imagine. He is conforming you to the image of Christ. And He is powerful even to redeem your sufferings for His glory and for your good. That's what He's doing in the valley of the shadow. He is making you like Christ who suffered a real death on our behalf. Who took the wrath of God upon His body. Who didn't just walk in the valley of the shadow of death. He walked through death for you and for me. And He says now it is just a shadow for you because I have been victorious over it. And I will walk you. Notice Psalm 23 verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley. He promised that even if you do not go out of that valley in this life, you will not be able to stay in it in the next because there is glory unspeakable in His presence for His people. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word, for the encouragement that it is to our souls. And I pray, Lord, for Your people, those who are walking through valleys today and who have been for some time, that You would encourage their hearts, Lord, that You would fill them with Your Spirit as they read the words of Your Bible, that they would be true to their soul, that they would remember Your promises and not forget. And Lord, I pray that You would help us in the midst of wanting answers. And asking questions, help us, Lord, to trust by faith that you are showing us what we need to know and that you are good, that you are working, even when we can't sense it, even when we can't feel it in our experience. Help us, Lord, to trust in what we know about you as revealed in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship as we sing hymn number 386.
may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. dedicate now to you our tithes and our offerings that you would use them for the name of your glory throughout the earth that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the Savior of sinners that our sins may be forgiven would be spread abroad because of our obedience and giving Lord we thank you and we praise you for this opportunity to worship you today in Jesus name Amen of our Lord. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen. Amen. 